Well, hello there, my friends, and welcome to episode 14 of Tangents Abound. My name is Aaron Henley, and welcome to the show. And if it's your first time, welcome, welcome, welcome. I'm glad you stumbled across my little podcast, and I hope you're going to have a good time. Well, today is um, going to be a kind of a a pretty fun episode, I think. Of course, I say that for all of them. (laughs) But uh, there's one thing I need to address. Um... Last week's ep- well episode last week's episode uh, there was a little problem. So my lovely little sister, well, she was listening to it and said, "Hey, there's a problem. There's no ending to it." Well, <laughs> I listened to it. I'm like, "Ooh, I must have downloaded the uploaded the wrong file." So I fixed it. I've even bumped up some of the audio because I think uh, someone was a little quieter than he should have been. Uh. Well, and believe me, it wasn't me. I So, um, <clears throat> yeah. Okay, we're backing away from this hole I'm in. <laughs> so I fixed it, and there was actually an additional about seven to eight minutes of audio. So there's even more tangenty goodness. Or if you're a Star Wars fan like I am, I went and did a special edition. <laughs> okay, well, we have some feedback to go through, and uh, let's... Get right into our emails. I have two emails. Oh, wow. Thank you so much um, for those. And if and I can't wait to actually read them because they're there. <laughs> okay. The first one is from our good buddy Gene Hendricks, a.k.a. the guy you just listened to. <laughs> and this was... And the title of his email was Saturday Morning Cartoons from days of not so long ago. Ooh, nice reference to the Voltron title there, Gene. I really appreciate that. <laughs> Aaron, I just finished listening to your Voltron episode, and I'm right there with you on the new cartoon. Let me set the stage before I get too far into this. I was a huge fan of the original Voltron growing up. That show, along with Battle of the Planets and Star Blazers was my intro into the world of anime. I was even lucky enough to have the five metal lions as a kid. They re- that really gave my young arms a workout when Voltron went flying around my room. Not the lightest of toys. Yep, I can imagine, because that was probably all die-cast metal. And in fact, Gene, there is that really awesome die-cast Voltron that was released like a few months ago. Yeah, if I had 300 bucks, oh, he'd be right here on my desk. <laughs> Because apparently each lion has all its weapons, is fully transformable, so you can have the five lions, and then you can form Voltron out of them. So it's just, oh. Okay, Gene continues. More recently, since my eight-year-old daughter discovered Voltron, we've been trying to watch those old episodes back-to-back with their original Japanese version, Go Lion. Luckily, Go Lion is available on Crunchyroll, a free streaming service for anime. Oh. I've been wondering where I could find a legitimate copy of Go Lion. Thanks, Gene. It's very interesting seeing what they changed when it was brought to America. One episode that stands out in my mind is Episode 9, A Pretty Spy. In the episode, a female slave supposedly escapes from Planet Doom and finds her way to Planet Aris. Now, to let everyone know, Planet Doom was the planet of the bad guys, the Galra. And Planet Aris, well, that's where the Voltron Force hang out. The Voltron Force take her in, but... But Keith is skeptical. It turns out that he's right, and she's a spy. Not only that, her brother has been changed into a row beast. 
Well, you can guess what happens to the brother. <coughs> Blazing sword. <coughs> but it's the end of the episode that's the big change. In the American version, they have a big ceremony where the princess speaks and then gives Lance a kiss, even though it was Keith that helped her during the battle. This was spliced on from another episode, since the original had the spy throw herself off a cliff rather than live without her brother. Yeah, if the censors back then wouldn't allow, you know, <laughs> normal storylines, I doubt they would allow, you know, on-screen suicide. So, wow. <laughs> Alright, enough of living in the past. We have a new Voltron to talk about. We didn't watch all the episodes in one sitting, but we did watch them in batches. I did too, Gene. When I say we, by the way, I mean my wife, our daughter, and I all watched as a family. And it was great to see that this was actually an all-ages show. And you know what, Gene? I'm just going to interrupt. That's awesome. I love that you have a geek family, and you can all enjoy the same things. And I hope one day I'm lucky enough to have a family like that. So my hat's off to you, sir. The themes of working together, even though you are at, odd, are at odds, is a great message. Showing that, through teamwork, a group can become much greater than the sum of its parts is something that should be in more programming, rather than the bickering and infighting we constantly see. Yes, absolutely. Some of the stuff that I personally liked in the new series was all the nods to the original. The launching of the castle. When they're going through everything is right out of when they would originally form Voltron. Also, the princess, Koran, and the castle start out on planet Aris, the planet from Voltron. <laughs> Maybe I should have read Gene's email first before I started commenting. <laughs> but they are, are originally from Altea, the planet from Go Lion. Oh, wow, that's a great, great reference. I didn't realize that. Th wow, that is, wow. <laughs> I was also happy to see the lighter moments, usually involving Hunk, to give us a break from the serious tone of most of the shows. The training where the paladins are all handcuffed together and trying to eat, ending up in a food fight, was hilarious. Yes, yes it was. <laughs> and also, uh, I need to clarify, I did, I re for after that, and it made sense because the computer was taking out the two people who could actually fix the problem about it, so it's... Gene. P.S. Many people want Morgan Freeman or Samuel L. Jackson, not Peter Cullen. Yeah, I'd I want Peter Cullen, but I'm st I'm torn between either Frank because then I want the Ninja Turtles, but I'm not going to read that. I'm going to save that for next week. But I also so yeah. Even though I said there's two emails, I'm just going to hold that off because you know. Yeah, I, I love hearing from Gene, but I'm going to throw that email into next week, so I'm sorry, but I appreciate it. Also, I appreciate the comments on the Libsyn page for the past couple episodes. Turtle loves with the, yay, I love turtles. Yes, I know, buddy. I'm so happy. And Steve really appreciated uh, the appearances of Harley. And also, Gene, thank you for that little comment on how you appreciate all the drop-ins on the reboot episode when we were talking off-air. That really meant a lot to me. I, I do appreciate that. Okay, friends. So, if you'd like to leave me an email, the email address is tangentsabound at gmail.com. Also, a link will be in the show notes, but there's one other place you can find me now. I am officially on Twitter. It's My user tag is at A-H-E-N-L-E-Y-2011 at well, I was going to say my email address, but no, it's, it's just the at ahenley2011. 
And that's the official Twitter of Tangents and Bound as well. So, I didn't really get into Twitter, but a couple of friends are on it. And then I was able to understand the purpose of Twitter once I was able to thank Jerry Conway for an amazing issue of Spider-Man called Spider-Man Renew Your Vows that came out last week. And with my budget being the way it is, I could only afford one Marvel title, and that was it. <laughs> um, so I told him about that on Twitter. And, you know, I never expected it anything from it, you know. Well, he sent me a little thank you note, and that, so I pretty, when I, I was uh, actually walking in the door, checking my messages on my uh, uh, phone, and I saw, oh, Twitter, Jerry Conway? And he said, hey, thanks. And I was like, I, right next to my door are some steps. Yeah, I'm glad they were there, because I actually f almost passed out. Because <laughs> when you have Jerry Conway, the writer of The Death of Gwen Stacy, one of the most pivotal stories of Spider-Man, and also one of the most pivotal writers in all of comic books, actually take time out of his day to just say a little thank you? Holy crap, my mind was blown. <laughs> so... Those are the two places you can find me. So, and also, as always, you can leave a comment on the Libsyn page as well. But again, friends, like I mentioned last week, j I'm just going to mention this for the next couple episodes. If you do leave me a comment, I always try to send little thank you emails. Okay. So we'll be right back after these messages as we listen to a, another great podcast from a bunch of good friends who I really one day hope to talk some uh, Firestorm and Aquaman with. We'll be right back, friends. Aquaman and Firestorm fighting crime together Soak them down or burn them up No one does it better Whenever you find trouble They'll always be there To catch them in a bubble Or even torch their hair they stand for truth and justice and see a land in there. Aquaman and Firestorm, they make a super pair. The Fire and Water Podcast. Celebrating Aquaman, King of the Seven Seas, and Firestorm, the Nuclear Man. Available at Fire and Water Podcast, Aquaman Shrine, Firestorm Fan, and on iTunes and Stitcher. I'm one of your hosts, the Irredeemable Shag, here to talk about Firestorm. Along with me is my co-host, Rob Kelly, here to talk about some guy that talks to fish. Really? You're going to pull this crap during the promo? It's bad enough. I have to put up with your shenanigans every... Alrighty. Well, my friends, today is uh, something a little different. It's not going to be comic books. It's not going to be cartoons or... Uh, kind of geeky stuff it is but you know it's it's kind of off on its own okay that tea is still really hot <laughs> and what we're going to talk about are some video games and specifically we're going to talk about a couple uh strategy video games that i played throughout my career <laughs> career throughout my life <laughs> career yes I, I my career of geekdom <laughs> i don't know if i'll edit that out or not but <laughs> Well, what we're going to be talking about, first off, is the video game. It's a it's an older video game, I'll I'll admit, but it it's a classic, and that is a video game by sadly now a defunct um, company, which is really sad. 
Ensemble Studios. Age of Empires, specifically Age of Empires 2. Now, what Age of Empires was, was a real-time strategy game where you basically, you and a bunch of buddies, had individual civilizations. You built up cities, towns, and then you just, and then you build up armies, and you pretty much threw them against each other and until somebody ended up dying, <laughs> until you conquered the world. <laughs> but it was also pretty nice because it st stuck with uh, historical settings, real civil, real historical settings, with the one exception, the Age of Mythology, where you got to play um, like the Egyptian pantheon, there was the Norse pantheon, so yes, Gene, you could actually control Odin and Thor. <laughs> you got to be the All-Father for once. And also, um, uh, yeah. Greek, Greco-Roman, you got to be Greco-Roman. It took me a minute there. <laughs> I'd never played it, so I had to think for a second. The main game I played growing up was called Age of Empires 2, Age of Kings, where it was definitely a medieval setting. The first game was more early history with the early Roman Empire, the Babylonian Empire, the Assyrian Empire. So it was, you know, ancient history. The second one was the Dark Ages, the Middle Ages. So we got knights and, you know, everything we think of when we watch the movie Braveheart. Now, back then in the late 90s, early 2000s, you could play on the internet, but it was incredibly difficult. I mean, it was just almost impossible. So the easiest way, and by easy I mean the pretty much the only way, was to have a LAN party. Now what a LAN party was, and this is going to sound a little weird, because in this day and age, <laughs> this is going to sound weird, where it was you had a box called a switch and you actually plugged in eight different computers to it and that's how you played so you actually had to eight, have eight computers eight monitors and a really big basement <laughs> to have a land party and my f buddy uh brian who was pretty much my older brother growing up had that <laughs> he had a very nice house so we had uh and he was a tech guy for um for a a major antivirus company. So he had some equipment uh, that they got rid of. So he had eight computers, and he pretty much turned his house into a giant internet hub. <laughs> so we would break the game, the teams up into usually to two two teams of four. So there's eight of us all playing, no computers. These were actual people, and. Some games were pretty normal. I mean, it was pretty much each game was an hour and a half of medieval cultures just slaughtering each other into extinction. Um, sometimes they were a lot shorter depending on where your base was and if you for remembered to build some defensive walls and made sure that your workers hadn't accidentally cut a hole through them so, you know, your enemy could just jump right into them. <laughs> that happened to me a few times. Uh, <laughs> and actually, friends, that was the birth of my first user tag, and that was the Bunny Avenger. And Alyssa's laughing right now. I know she is. Because the Bunny Avenger 
<laughs> we had a box of marshmallow peeps, little rabbit peeps, and for some reason we just one our buddy just decided to just you know, go all uh, Sid from the Toy Story movie on it. So from that day on, the Bunny Avenger was born. <laughs> oh, good times. Good times. <laughs> now, the best games were actually the rare three to four hour battles. Now, these were rare, but they were awesome when it happened. Because what it was, was we each spent about an hour of the game, first building up our main base, then our secondary or emergency bases, and then our massive army. So we just have these huge stockpiles of forces. No one's actually attacking. We're just waiting for someone to just say, all right, I'm bored, let's go. <laughs> so then about the next hour in, we somehow just managed to find this one spot in the middle of the map and beat each other senselessly with neither side gaining ground. And in fact, <laughs> it was usually such a... Uh, chaotic struggle that the grassy terrain turned white and we never actually played on a winter map. <laughs> so, yeah, that the, yeah that wasn't uh, snow on the ground. I'm pretty sure we ended up killing more people than the Black Plague. <laughs> now, also, <laughs> eventually, all the resources that we need to build the really nice stuff, like the knights and massive catapults would be completely exhausted so we resorted to whatever cheap unit we could make with what was left so instead of these epic duels of catapults and knights in armor and well-equipped swordsmen and um archers we ended up we the, with the game with hundreds of guys stabbing each other with pointy sticks <laughs> yeah that's all we had left we we went from knights in armor to guys with pointy sticks <laughs> And then during all of this, of course, our bases are still churning out guys. Our citizens are st still gathering resources. So each computer is struggling to keep up with the actions of 1,600 different characters because your population limit was 200. So, and all of us are all, you know, maxing it out. And we have guys, all our force buildings are queued up to the max. We're not even watching the battle anymore. We just put everybody go here, and we just kept made sure things kept churning out. Because <laughs> once whoever stopped churning, that was who was going to lose. And the computers we had back then were really struggling to keep up with everything. So most of the time, the game went in normally with one side winning against the other. But every once in a while it would end in a draw as all the little gerbils running in their wheels inside our computers finally passed out and uh, we ended up crashing the game. <laughs> so what would happen would be we'd laugh, curse, cry, grab another slice of pizza and a can of Mountain Dew and start up again. <laughs> oh, we did that for a good two to three years. <sighs> and then came the Star Wars version. And by the Star Wars version, I mean Star Wars Galactic Battlegrounds. Now, this game originally came out right before Episode 2, with uh, six factions. You had the Rebels, the Empire, the Trade Federation, the Naboo, the Gungans, which was usually the race I set the PC as when I played solo so I could fill, fulfill Darth Sidious' command of Wipe them out. All of them. 
yeah, I always set it to conquest mode, so the only way we won was they were wiped out. <laughs> yes, I, I uh, apparently am a speciest against Gungans. And the final race was the Ewoks. <laughs> no, no, not really. I'm kidding. It was the Wookiees. I mean, come on. Who wouldn't want this? An entire army of Wookiees. <laughs> so when Episode 2 was released, an expansion pack came out, which added both the Republic and the Separatist forces, bringing the total factions to eight. Now, this also opened up some really neat possibilities, because you had the, uh, the possibilities of having the Separatist Alliance fight the Empire, as if the, you know, <laughs> the Republic immediately switched over and the Separatists were like, hey, we're not dead yet, we can still fight. <laughs> or you could have the Galactic Republic fight against the Rebels, or one of the best ones I did was having the clone troopers fight stormtroopers. And all of this was great, and yeah, it happened a lot. So, and this game was Age of Empires with a Star Wars skin. I mean, all the resources were the same. The, it was, yeah, it was Age of Empires Star Wars edition. It, it was like someone just took a big mod, Star Wars mod, and slapped it on the Age of Empires engine. Because we had traded our bows for blasters, our knights on horseback for Jedi, and our horses for Adats. But there was one neat addition to Galactic Battlegrounds over Age of Empires. Because there was a new way to wage war. Because remember, this was about 2001-2002, so what big strategy game came out in 99 starcraft and what did they have star air battles so galactic battlegrounds added starfighters <laughs> so in addition to the normal land and sea-based attacks you could suddenly have a whole squad of x-wings fly over your defenses strike your workers while some y-wings came in and blew up your troop centers if you hadn't planned for it so, and then when the expansion came out, things became even more intense because those introduced giant gunships with massive area effect blasts. So they could be used to clear out a bunch of trees that a player had used to help supplement their border walls. So now all of a sudden, there's a big gaping hole in your defenses and you can just move right in. You could also take out forests to move troops to a more advantageous spot. Or, you know, you could wipe out an entire squad in a single shot. When these guys showed up, any available anti-air forces went after them immediately because, one, they had insane health. Two, some of the races were able to add shield generators to these guys, so you had two life bars and one of them regenerated. And these things were literally death hovering. And in fact, one of the little cheat codes... You could uh, build the Death Star. <laughs> yeah, that pretty much wiped out the map. It didn't wipe out the entire map, but uh, yeah, if you managed, if you typed it in right over the guy's base, yeah, the game was over. And also, each civilization had their own special bonuses and units, and it was really fun to try them out and see what worked best with your playstyle. Me, I tended to be either the Alliance. Republic or the Empire. The Alliance, because I loved <laughs> X-Wings. Let's start there. The Empire, because, okay, they were full-on mech, so you had at 
ATs and ATSDs, and come on, who wouldn't want an army of those? <laughs> and the Republic, because, well, I just love the clones, and their main attack force were the Jedi. Now, Jedi were also both offensive, but also defensive, because one, they could heal your units, and two, they could actually turn your opponent's units so you get to control them. <laughs> so yeah, if your guy, if your enemy showed up with some really nice weaponry and you had the right skills, yeah, it then became yours. Now, the Gungans they were useful on island maps because they focused mainly on naval battles. But uh, to be honest, <laughs> when we played, only the rule of no one could have the same civilization actually meant the Gungans showed up at all. <laughs> And sometimes we only had, you know, six players, so we always made sure the computer was the Gungans. <laughs> it wasn't a difficult choice. You had the ability to send out ATSDs and ATATs, or those funny lizard riders. Giant mechs, funny lizards. Yet, of call. Now, to be fair, the Gungans did have a special walking shield generator like they had in Episode 1, so it was a good support race, but... To be, I mean, come on. No one picked that race by choice. No one. <laughs> we had to flip coins for it. <laughs> and even then, we had to promise someone else had to play for the next round. <laughs> ah, so many great memories of those games. <laughs> and usually all the battles, again, ended up like the opening scene of The Force Awakens with the massive vehicle and ship graveyards and uh, broken armor all over the place and Oh, so many good times when I was growing up. But what usually happens with a pair of newlyweds? A new baby came, came around. And I'll never forget my buddy. He told me when his wife was about five months pregnant, and this was pretty much the last game we had at his house, was he looked me dead in the eye and he said, you know, Aaron, nothing's going to change. I looked him dead in the eye and I said, dude, you have no idea, do you? <laughs> So, yeah, the year after his daughter was born, the land party was disassembled and where we had spent so many hours building civilizations and destroying them became the play area. <laughs> uh, but, you know, I'll treasure those memories. I always will. But there's another game. I want to talk about it. and it's a game that's a lot more recent, actually. But before I talk about that, I want to tell you about a story I read. And this was an epic story of how a few Spartan soldiers overthrew a massive army and saved their kingdom. Gather around, my friends, as I tell you a tale of how a few brave warriors saved their beloved homeland of Sparta from an overwhelming force. During the earliest periods of our history, the mighty civilization that we know today as Sparta was barely a small city and a few scattered farms. For many years, the Spartans had lived in peace with their neighbors. They had maintained a small defensive force for 
protection against raiders and unsavory sorts, but they didn't have anything resembling a well-trained and well-supplied army. Well, that all changed one dark day. For from the west they came. A massive force of men that stretched across the horizon and quickly surrounded the land. While no outright hostility had occurred, the Spartans knew it was only a matter of time before that force invaded their lands. Gathering behind their great leader and general, the few small units bravely marched out to a strategic location of hills and narrow valleys on the western side of their lands. These men knew that it would be certain death, but to the Spartans, it was either fight or lose their families and their homes. They had no other choice, for if today was to be the last breath of their people, they would make sure that all of history would remember that this is Sparta! Using a series of hit-and-run attacks to distract the encroaching forces, the Spartans retreated further into the mountains to give them the advantage. The foolish invaders pursued them. For many days the battle raged. Men met face to face, spear to spear, sword to sword. Arrows filled the air like raindrops. The waters turned red from all the spilled blood. Even though things looked hopeless, slowly the Spartans began to gain ground. And then, as if the gods themselves had sent a blessing, loyal friends arrived with their war chariots and horseback archers to further rout the enemy. The invaders were losing ground and they became more and more disorganized and confused. More and more the Spartans pressed home the attack. Thus, the invaders' lines broke and their forces went scattered. Enthused by the victory, the Spartans pursued the invaders to their own lands and began to strike back. They not only finished off the entire invading army, but they managed to capture their city for the glory of the Spartans. And no, my friends, this isn't the sequel to 300 or a forgotten part of your high school history class. This happened two weeks ago when I played Civilization VI. So, what exactly is the Civilization series? Well, it's one of the more popular strategy games in a genre commonly referred to as 4X for Explore, Expand, Exploit, and Exterminate. <laughs> and why it wasn't called 4E, I don't know, but that's what they called it and that's what they did. The first game of the series, Civilization one, or just Civilization, was released in 1991, with the latest being released October 21st, 2016. And now, the first Civilization game I ever played was Civilization 2. And the way I started playing it was it was one of the few games the old computer and the student union in my college could run. And I didn't know much about the game, but 
I had fun spending a few hours in between classes just figuring it out and building my little cities and finding new allies and enemies and also, it was just plain cool to see what the Roman Empire would be like in the 20th century, or having Cleopatra hang out with Theodore Roosevelt. And, to be honest, I wasn't really that good. In fact, I still am not that good. But I always somehow managed to get to the point in the game where the Great Equalizer, tactical nuclear weaponry, <laughs> could help me win. <laughs> and... Yes, I will admit I may be a bit more Emperor Palpatine and less Mon Mothma than I care to admit from time to time when I play. But, you know, it's not my fault. I, w I had a war declared on me and, you know, they forgot I wasn't afraid to deploy, you know, nuclear weaponry or completely throw my government to total anarchy so I could, you know, uh, overthrow the democracy that was preventing me from using those nuclear weapons and... You know, actually, I really think I need to talk to someone about this. I'm a, I'm a little scared of myself right now, because, <clears throat> yeah, that, yeah, that, that's actually rather frightening. What, what is wrong with me? So, after I graduated, uh, college, I never really played Civilization again. I saw, you know, new versions come out like three, four, and five, but I never really played with them because, to be honest, it's not that much fun. Playing by yourself against a computer, it's more fun when you have a couple of guys with you. But I was watching a, um, a I guess they call it a, a stream, <laughs> of uh, Civilization VI played by the guys over at Team Four Star. Now, Team Four Star is a well-known uh, YouTube production, video production company, famous for the Dragon Ball Z abridged series, which... If you like Dragon Ball Z, or if you just like great comedic writing, you should check out. Now, little listeners, I will say they do bleep out a lot of the bad language as part of the joke, but I would definitely say they are PG-13. Now, that's Dragon Ball Z abridged. If you just watch their streams, they're definitely a more mature <laughs> uh, audience. So I'm watching them play Civ Six, and I thought, you know what? That looks like a fun game. I remember playing the older version, so I should at least know the basics. And I'm sure the tutorials in the game will fill in the rest of the blanks. Oh, how naive I was. <laughs> because, friends, this is an absolutely dense game. Now, you can win a game in one of four ways. One, becoming the cultural center of the human race. Two, establish the first Martian colony, which is pretty cool. Three, convert everyone to your religion, which I'm still trying to figure out how to actually start that. <laughs> or four, the good old-fashioned military conquest. And to be honest, that's usually what happens when you play the computer. Well, at least to me anyway, because, you know, I get bored. I'm like, I've got all these guys, there's this massive army... I know what the computer's going to do. <laughs> and while you're doing all of this, there are a ton of systems to manage simultaneously. Because you have to build up your cities, you have to have resource management, you have to explore the map, you have to provide defense against random barbarian tribes, you have to found your own religion, you have to improve your culture, your scientific discoveries, find allies and enemies, and hope that someone just doesn't show up and declare war on you or drop a nuclear weapon on your house. 
<laughs> and in fact, with all the amount of things going on in this game, you know, a rather in-depth tutorial would be needed. And yet, aside from a single introductory mission, which pretty much only covers the absolute bare-bones essentials, yeah, you're pretty much on your own. <laughs> so, we give you all the tools for world domination, we just won't tell you how to actually work it. Now, there is an in-game encyclopedia to help you, but it's still not that great, and the tooltips and explanations they give don't really account for the sheer amount of stuff going on in the game. And when you get to the mid-game, there could literally be dozens of units needing commands, a small nation of cities working to build more units or improvements, and that's just your civilization. Let's not forget that at the very least, there are five other players whether they're human or computer, all trying to do the same thing, and most are trying to kill you. Especially ones you wouldn't think, such as Mahatma Gandhi. Yes, Mahatma Gandhi, the peace-loving man of, you know, uh, peaceful protest. Yeah, he's a <laughs> uh, schizophrenic in the game because he, he's controlled to be either peaceful, but so he or he will... Uh, drop a nuclear weapon on you for no apparent reason. Yeah, we need the digital uh, version of uh, schizophrenic medicine for him. <laughs> and, you know, I have played the game pretty much non-stop since I bought it. In fact, I've had a few <laughs> trouble uh, recording episodes because I ran out of time playing this game. And I have read a lot of articles and supplemental guides on the internet, but I still don't understand at least a third of what I'm supposed to do. And, you know, I try to be a nice guy. I want to do a science thing, or I want to do the religious victory, or the cultural victory. You know, I just want to be on my own, make my little city, and, you know, have Hollywood studios and not, you know, nuclear weapons. But, thanks to the computer, I'm usually required to have a decent military just to protect my cities from the surprise war invasions. <laughs> The AI is a little wonky because when it does decide to fight, it hasn't been uncommon for me at a certain point to be so highly advanced in my technology that I'm being attacked by guys on horseback, and I'm using World War II-era infantry, howitzers, and air power to defend my city. So, it's pretty much the Battle of Endor the way most people think it probably should have gone. And I mean... While I was writing this up, I actually started thinking that if the Empire had just sent one squadron of TIE fighters to fly air cover on Endor, the Rebels would have lost completely. Yeah, if because they could barely hold their own against the Walkers. I mean, the Ewoks tried, I give them that. But, yeah, if there was air power, that would have been it. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, whoever was in charge of the tactical decisions in the Empire. Oh, wait, that was Palpatine. Never mind. Great Sith Lord, horrible tactician. Now, there are improvements that need to be made, obviously. And I'm sure that both the game designers and actually the modding community uh, are hard at work on it. I've seen some great mods out there to help balance things out a little bit more. In fact, I keep hoping that eventually we'll have the Star Wars mod or the Lord of the Rings mod, because the, this game just demands one of those two. <laughs> Ooh, even the Star Trek mod. I mean, you could have the Federation, the Klingons. Okay, stop this. <laughs> now, uh, 
One other thing, friends, is as great as the game is, there is one thing that puts it completely into the stratosphere. Because all of the important text narration, like the opening cinematic, the introduction of your leader, the little quotes they have for every technology and improvement in the game, they're all performed by the amazing Sean Bean. <laughs> yeah, you get to hear Boromir quote Winston Churchill, proclaim your glory to the heavens, and it, even more important, he has a role that he doesn't die in. <laughs> so, yeah, that this is it's amazing. When I f started hearing this, I was like, wow. And you know, since Sean Bean is like this otherworldly voice in this whole game, he could almost be considered like a god in this game. So, you know, I always think that when I read the Bible, I hear James Earl Jones doing God's voice, but you know, now, I could see Sean Bean doing that, but, uh, yeah, that's a tangent for another time. So, Professor Allen, if you're listening, you may want to think about this. <laughs> and as a special treat, friends, take a listen to some of my favorite Sean Bean quotes from the game. First upright steps, you have come far. Now begins your greatest quest. From this early cradle of civilization, on towards the stars. And so it is upon your broad shoulders, Theodore Roosevelt, to charge forth and lead your people on their great adventure. Use your military might to give the peoples of your homeland the square deal they so desperately deserve. Surely, you will raise America into the limelight and attract visitors from across the oceans just to see your lands. Bully for you, Mr. President. From this early cradle of civilization on towards the stars. There will be those who underestimate you, but you are cunning and full of tricks, Queen Cleopatra. Your charm will establish indestructible alliances with the strongest leaders of the world. Your Majesty the Queen Victoria of England, extend your reach beyond your borders and across the face of the globe. Worry not over the possibility of defeat, for your loyal redcoats and overwhelming navy will surely carry the day. With your calm and steady touch, you can bring all lands under England's sway, establishing a true Pax Britannica. So, in conclusion, would I recommend this game? Well, absolutely. It's been a blast, and I haven't got any kind of burnout on it yet. In fact, I have three other amazing, incredible games that I'm putting on the back burner because I want to get good at this. But, again, I'm just playing against a computer. I think this game is best played if you have some buddies put aside a day and you play it over the internet with them because you can, after playing a while, you can predict what the computer is pretty much going to do to you. When you have human players, there's a whole other element. So, the, and again, this game's long. I mean, the average game, if, if you had all human players, you're looking at about six hours just for one game. That's a long game. <laughs> now, that said, if you do decide to purchase it, again, make sure to read up on the game through sites like IGN or wiki pages or fan forums, because as I mentioned, the game initially itself comes with very little instruction, and I have to knock out a few points for that. 
Now, I'm not going to give it a rating. I'm just going to say what I don't like about it. Now, also one other thing is, <laughs> in the early game, I'm more concerned about the wandering barbarian tribes than I am the actual computer players, because the barbarian tribes are absolutely ferocious. It's like Conan on steroids, only they have no problem killing everything in sight. <laughs> so just be careful. Uh, so that's kind of a, a little walk away from what we've covered so far and I, I I've enjoyed, you know, remembering some of the great times I had with my friends because this I lived um pretty far away compared to the rest of my uh, geek friends, so it was nice that I was able to have these land parties growing up and hang out with them and, you know, have some social time because growing up I I was pretty lonely, I'll, I'll be honest, just just because of the distance and where I lived. So Friends, I thank you for uh, joining me on today's tangent. I know there weren't too many tangents. Gene, I want to thank you for your email. Again, friends, if you want to leave an email, the email address is tangentsabound at gmail.com. You can find me on Twitter now at ahenley2011. And I look forward to, you know, hearing from you. Uh, I'm not sure if I'll be able to read the twit, uh, twit, tweet, tweet. You can tell I'm just, I'm brand new to Twitter. I don't even know what they call those things. <laughs> Anyhow, friends, I appreciate you listening. I really do. And we saw today that it's really difficult to conquer a digital world. Well, how about we go from saving a world, from conquering a world, to saving a galaxy? And that's just to start with. And then you find out that no, you have to save all existence. Oh, and one other thing, you're trying to find love while doing it. <laughs> Now, you may not think that a space fantasy strategy game has a compelling love story, but you will when next week I discuss my favorite parts of the epic and legendary computer video game series, StarCraft. And until then, my friends, I'll see you next week, StarCraft. So, I'll see you next week, my friends, and until then, have a great day. And in case I don't see you, have a great evening. Great afternoon, good evening, and good night. Tangents Abound is a free podcast. No money is made in the, in the production or distribution of this podcast. All opinions expressed on the show are those of the people on the show and probably shouldn't be taken too seriously. So you don't need to you know, go on Facebook and complain about it. Also, all audio clips used on the show are for education and review purposes, and no copyright infringement is intended, and all copyrights are owned by their respective copyright holders. And as a special treat, friends, I want you to take a listen to how a usual game of Age of Empires started and ended. And Alyssa, I know this will bring back some memories. So until next week, my friends, take care. Quit touching me! No. I'll beat you back to Age of Empires. Start the game already! It is good to be the king. Ah! My granny could scrap better than that. You played two hours to die like this? Raiding party!